For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian Maurer, and I attend first service during most of the year. In first service, uh, the passing of the peace is limited to four minutes and 27 seconds, <laughs> and every one of us has that time down. So we regroup spontaneously, but that's fine. This is totally unrehearsed. I was sitting in the pew and uh, looked over and saw my long-term friend, Father Tom Furr, whom I've known for over 30 years. We used to be next-door neighbors and uh, Father Tom is now retired. He used to be the priest at Trinity Episcopal Church in Terraville. And since he's been retired, he has a ministry where he heads up fundraising to set up clinics for the delivery of health care throughout northern Nigeria. It's quite a daunting task, but Father Tom seems to be able to handle it quite nicely. When I woke up this morning, I found a card on my desk from my youngest daughter wishing me Father's Day, a happy Father's Day. And I was thinking that today is Father's Day, the day that we recognize our fathers, not only our physical fathers, but our spiritual fathers. Father Tom is one of the men in my life that I count to be a spiritual father. He's always been there for me. He's prayed for me. He's prayed for my wife and my children and my grandchildren. So, in my book, he's a special guy. And uh, I think after he speaks to us this morning, he will probably share that sentiment. I'd just like to pray for him here before he uh, takes the mic and delivers the sermon. In the Episcopal tradition, when you enter into prayer, you say, the Lord be with you, and then you respond, and also with you. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord God, look down on Father Tom during this time. Pour out your spirit upon him, anoint him, that the words that he speaks to us today may be, in fact, your words. Prick our hearts and our ears that we may be attentive to what he has to tell us and that we may take it in, meditate upon it, and make it part of our lives and our service to you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate that. So, over the last couple of years, I've become friends with your pastor, Matt, and uh, we get together every once in a while and share our ministry joys and challenges and uh, try to encourage one another. So that's what we do. And uh, we were meeting a couple of months ago, and he asked me if I'd be willing to come and 
preach today. As you may know, his wife's been in the hospital and he wanted to take some time to be with her today. So and I said yes. So here I am and uh, glad to be here and uh, bring the word of God to us here. So let's pray. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be upon us, will anoint our hearts and our lips, will convict and convert and convince our hearts and our consciences, will lift us up and help us, Lord, to know your presence, your love, your power in our lives, in the situations in which we find ourselves bound in chains, that you would open the prison doors and let us out and give us the strength and the inspiration to walk out when you open the doors. We ask, Lord, that you'll speak to us today. Inspire us, equip us, inform us, empower us to be your people and send us forth from this place to be the people you want us to be and to do the works you want us to do and to reach the people you want us to reach. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, let's just, since I see some of you have your Bibles and some don't, let's just read the chapter. So I've been told I'm supposed to speak on chapter 12 of the book of Acts today. So let's just read it together. If you have your Bible, open it up. If you don't, just uh, listen attentively, okay? Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people." So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God to God by the church. And that very night, when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter was sleeping between the two soldiers bound in two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your mantle around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first guard and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, and where many other disciples were gathered praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. 
Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and told that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are mad. But she insisted that it was so. They said, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell this to James and the brethren. And then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no small stir among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And what Herod had sought for him, he could not find him. He examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and remained there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him in a body, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat on the throne and made an oration to them, and the people shouted the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord smote him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, the book of Acts, I hear tell you've been going through it this summer, so just a quick review. The book of Acts is about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You remember in the big, remember that Luke and Acts are written by the same guy, Luke, and you remember that in the first book, O Theophilus, I told you all that Jesus began to do and teach, and in the second book, the book of Acts, O Theophilus, I'm going to tell you all that Jesus continues to do and teach and accomplish through the work of the Holy Spirit. You remember that In Jerusalem, when Jesus died and rose from the dead and appeared to the disciples, and he said, remember, before he ascended into heaven, go preach the gospel to all nations, beginning from you are my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Go, go preach the gospel to the whole world. Let the whole world know what has happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let the whole world know that God is about the business of redeeming the world. Let the whole world know that God has overcome the powers of sin and death finally, completely, and forever. Go, go to the whole world. But before you go, wait. Go, but wait. Wait for what? Wait for Pentecost. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they waited. And you know, on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell like the rush of a mighty wind, Flames on every head, they were anointed and given the power to speak in tongues, to speak the languages to many people around them, and they all understood the gospel. And remember that day, 3,000 people were saved and came to the Lord and were baptized and joined the church. And from that day on, the church began to grow. Now here's a fact of history. From that day till this, think about this, from that day until this, 2,000 years later, the church of Jesus has had more members every day than the day before, every day, 365 days a year for 2,000 years. That is a fact of history. 
Every day since that day, there have been more followers than Jesus than there were the day before. The book of Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of the Holy Spirit, you might say, the Holy Spirit working in the church, and it's the narrative of the forward movement of the missionary church throughout the world, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth in those days was Rome, and that's where it ends up. And the point is that God is working his purpose out through the church in history, and that's a forward movement of the Holy Spirit touching more and more people's lives every day, 365 days a year for 2,000 years. It continues today. And if you go to a place like Africa, you see the work of the Holy Spirit manifest in miraculous and powerful ways that you never would have thought about happening. And when you see the work in China, of the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in China, about to become the largest Christian population on earth, did you know that? An officially communist country, China now has almost as many Christians as we do in this country, and in another 13 years will become, if present trends continue, the country with the largest population of worshiping Christians in the world, in communist China. The work of the Holy Spirit continues to this day. But in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit working, we see the church growing, the forward movement of the church, but it's never a straight line. It's always with opposition. Every step of the way, they are opposed by the rulers of the synagogue, by the Jewish people in, uh, in mobs, by uh, mobs of uh, people who are mad at them because they, they stopped making silver idols in uh, Ephesus, for instance. At every step of the way, they're opposed by somebody. And why is that? Because at every step of the way, we can expect opposition. Why is that? Because we're not contending against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this present world darkness. Every step of the way, somebody doesn't want to hear the gospel. Every step of the way, somebody resists the work of the Holy Spirit. Every step of the way, when the church is about to do something good, there is a pushback from the powers of evil. And just as it was so in the apostles' day, so it, is, so, so it is true in our day. When we are about to do something good for the sake of the gospel, when we're about to do something good in response to God's call on our lives, we can expect that there will be pushback, that there will be opposition, that there will be difficulties laid in the way. We should not be surprised by them. We should not be undone by them. We should not be discouraged by them. We should recognize this as normal. And so, what happened with Peter? Herod, in this particular instance, is the opposition. And it says that he uh, had the brother James, the brother of John, those are the, the sons of Zebedee, remember? He had him killed by the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. In other words, as the gentleman said earlier today, he planned to do the exact same thing to Peter. He saw that it was a crowd-pleasing thing to kill one of the uh, Christians, and so he did the same. He arrested Peter, and the next morning he was going to be killed also. Opposition. We can expect opposition. Now, as Brian said a minute ago, I uh, spent a lot of my time uh, doing mission trips and starting medical clinics in Nigeria. And we just... Uh, 
uh, opened up our third clinic there uh, a couple months ago. And uh, this is something we've been praying for, for and working for, raising money for, planning for, overcoming obstacles to accomplish for the last several years. And we've worked at it, and it's just about to come to fruition. And on this trip, we were taking a very large, a larger than usual group of people going with us, and we were really excited, and we're really excited to be opening up this brand new clinic and doing this medical mission there, which the clinic's now running full time. And as we began to plan this trip and get to the later stages of it, all kinds of opposition came at us, all kinds of opposition. From the Nigerian government, they ramped up all the requirements for getting a visa to go. They changed the rules right in the middle of the game. We went several trips to New York, and uh, every time we went, they would change the, what they wanted. It became very frustrating, very overwhelming, very discouraging. But we pressed on. Because why? Because what happens next in our scripture today? The king, the almighty king, the guy with all the power, with all the wealth, with all the swords, with all the soldiers, has killed a leader in the church. He's arrested another one and about to kill him. And what happens next? The church, earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. When we have the powers of hell working against us, the powers and principalities of this present world darkness, we have a greater power on our side, the power of the prayer of the church, the power of God at work in the world. And we need never to neglect that power. We need never to make light of that power. We need to, whenever opposition comes, that's a sign that we are to get on our knees and pray more diligently. When all this opposition was happening to me and our team this past um, March, uh, I said, why is God letting all this stuff happen? And my wife said, to teach you that you depend on God and nobody else, not on yourself. And so we had to keep praying and praying and praying. And, uh, you know, that's nothing new in Christian history. So in uh, 2 Corinthians, St. Paul says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself, while we felt that we had been received a sentence of death, but what but but that was to make us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from so deadly a peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted to us in answer to many prayers. And so we kept praying. We kept praying that God would get us through this thing, that God would overcome the powers of these government officials that were giving us such a hard time. We kept praying diligently. And when the church prays, the demons shudder. When the church prays, the powers of hell go in retreat because we have the power of God on our side. But sometimes we forget that and get discouraged and get beaten down and get ready to quit. So what happened next? After all this other opposition, 
I had a couple of cardiac events. Uh, I won't tell you the whole story, but I got in a head-on collision with another car because I fainted because my heart wasn't working right. I could have been easily killed. By God's grace, I wasn't hurt, and neither was the guy in the other car. Went to the hospital, got a pacemaker, and the doctor said, you can't go anywhere. You can't drive a car, and you can't go anywhere for six months. And I said, doctor, you don't understand. We're about to open up a hospital in Nigeria that we've been working at for years and years and years. This is the pinnacle of four years of hard work. You don't understand. I have to go. No, you can't go. It's too dangerous. The technology's too new. Nobody over there can fix it. If something goes wrong, you can't go. I won't allow you to go. Two different doctors said the same thing. And so now I was really discouraged. But we kept praying and kept praying and kept praying because the power of God is greater than any human power, right? We did. And so what happens next with Peter? He's in prison. As the gentleman said earlier, he's about to die the next morning, and what's he doing? He's sleeping. He's not worried about it. The church is praying. Peter's sleeping. He's going to die next morning. What happens? He's chained to two different soldiers. Normal practice for high security prisons with one being chained to one soldier. They took extra measures with him, chained him to two soldiers. And he's asleep in the cell. The light shines in the cell. The chains fall off his hands. The door, the gates open all by themselves, and Peter walks out. But before he walked out, he wasn't sure what God was doing. The chains fell off his hands. God's business is to remove the chains from our lives. God's business is to open up the prison doors in our lives. God's business is to free us from those things which keep us from serving God. Remember what Jesus said when he began his public ministry, Luke chapter 4. He took up the book of the uh, scroll of the book of Isaiah and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The Lord has anointed Jesus to open the prison doors, to proclaim release to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he set at liberty Peter in that very moment to go out and continue the work that Peter had been given to do. He sets us free from the things that bind us and keep us from fully being the people that God wants us to be. And so in my particular case, as the church prayed, as we prayed for God's strength, for God's answer in this particular dilemma, with the government officials, one by one, every one of our team got their visas right up to the last minute. The last person to get it got their visa 11 hours before our plane took off. We started planning this four months ahead of time, 11 hours before the plane took off, she got her visa. At the very last minute, 
My heart was doing so well that my both of my heart doctors, the guy who put the pacemaker in and the other guy, both agreed, okay, you're doing okay, you can go on this trip. Now, what if I had stopped praying and given up a couple of months earlier? What if I'd said, oh, that's it, God has forgotten me? But we didn't. We kept praying, we kept persisting, and God opened the door. God freed us from the chains that were binding us to go and do this work that God had called us to do. It says in our scripture today that Peter, when the chains first went off, he wasn't sure. He wasn't sure if it was a dream or not. He wasn't sure if the chains had actually come off or if he was just dreaming a dream. He thought he was seeing a vision. But then... He, the, the doors were opened and he went out in the street and he said, now I am sure the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. In other words, to be killed. God opens doors for us, but he requires us to cooperate. When God opens a door, we have to walk through the door. When God takes off the chains, we have to recognize the chains are gone and walk out. And that's what Peter had to do, and that's what I had to do, and that's what we all have to do. When we pray diligently for God to open doors, we need to be attentive to when the door opens and walk, have the boldness to walk through it. So in my case, my people who love me said, are you crazy? The doctor said you can't go, and then all of a sudden they say you can go, you're going to go to that crazy place over there with your heart all messed up. And I said, God, open the door. I have to walk through it. God answered the prayer. Who am I to say no to God? And I went and it was all good. So, last part of our narrative today is that Herod, the bad guy, the guy with all the power, what's it say? The angel of the Lord smote him And he was eaten with worms and died. Pretty decisive uh, rebuke to Herod because he didn't acknowledge God. Uh, Luke chapter 1. You know, the Magnificat from Mary, Mary's song. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God is working his purpose out in history and God has a way of nullifying the powers and principalities which oppose the work of the kingdom of God. God has a way of having his way with people, whether the way it happened to Herod or other ways. And we know the end of the story. We know that God is about the business of redeeming humanity and the world. We know that the death and resurrection of Jesus were the first fruits of this work of redemption which works itself out in history. And we know that at the end of time, God's love and God's purpose and God's goodness will be all in all, everything to everyone. We know the end of the story. 
We know that God is the victor, that the victory of God over the powers of sin and death is final and complete, and one day all will see it, and there will be no doubt about it. You know, sometimes when I'm reading a novel, and it's very tense, and the the hero is about to get killed or whatever, or something awful is about to happen, and my stomach is in knots, and my... uh, uh, anxiety level rises up. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to this good guy? What's going to happen? And there's always the temptation to read to the end of the book and find out what happened first so your stomach will stop being in butterflies, you know? It's the temptation to see how the, guy, the good guy made out in the end, after all, and then go back and read the rest of the book. Well, in our case, we can read the end of the story. We have read the end of the story. We know how it all ends up, that God will have the victory over the powers of sin and death finally, completely, and forever, and ever, and ever, and ever. And so when we're going through times in our lives when the chains seem to be so strong, when we lose heart, when we lose courage, when we lose the confidence that God is with us, we need to go to the end of the story. And remember that God has the ultimate victory over the powers of sin and death and that God loves us with an everlasting love. So what are your chains? What are my chains? We all have something which holds us back from the work of the kingdom of God. We all have something which binds us. We all have something which keeps us from being fully the person God wants us to be, keeps us from sharing the gospel as enthusiastically or as powerfully as, we, as God would like us to. So what are your chains? What are my chains? In this recent instance, and still, one of my chains is my heart. You know? It's a little different than your big toe, something goes wrong with your big toe, that's too bad, but, you know, it's not your heart. And so, for me, this has been the opportunity for me to trust God every day and to wake up every day and say, okay, God, I'm alive, I'm happy, thank you. And what do you have for me to do today? And how can I trust you more today? It's increased my ability to trust God, recognizing this chain in my life and not letting it have power over me. What are the chains in your lives? Maybe you have an illness that's holding you down. Maybe you have a persistent sin in your life that's holding you down, that's keeping you from being the person God wants you to be, keeping you from being an authentic witness for the gospel. Maybe you are struggling with an addiction that's binding you. Addictions, there are all kinds, you know, to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, to whatever, to uh, the internet, Facebook. There's all kinds of addictions that keep us so focused on the addiction that we can't pay much attention to anything else. What are your chains? And do you believe that God can free you from those chains? Do you believe that God can free you from the power of those chains to be the person God wants you to be. And are you praying about it? Are you trusting God to give you the victory over those chains? Maybe it's a negative self-image. 
Maybe when you were a little kid, somebody told you you were nobody and you were nothing, you would never amount to anything. And that voice just keeps on reverberating in your life. Maybe you've been abused by somebody when you were young or when you were older. And that PTSD thing keeps working itself out in your life and you keep making choices uh, based on this inner voice that tells you you're a nobody and you don't deserve anything better than that. Maybe you've been bullied by somebody in your life and that continues to affect your self-image. We all have chains of various kinds. Maybe you have a chain of uh, too much attachment to money and you can't bear to give any of it away for the sake of the kingdom of God and your money owns you instead of the other way around. Maybe you have a chain of love that hasn't worked out in your life and you're so sad you can't see any new possibility for yourself. We all have a chain of some sort. And when we have it, we need to pray diligently to God for the power over that chain, to break the chains, to release us from the prisons of our own making and of other people's making, to free us to be the people God wants us to be to share the love of Jesus in a way that God wants us to share it. And when God begins to open the door, we need to have the faith to walk through the door, to walk through the door into a new reality, into a freed reality, that God loves us with an everlasting love, that he's with us, that he's here to strengthen us, that he has plans for our welfare and not for evil, to give us a hope and a future. He's there to show us that his power is working in us is infinitely greater than anything we can ask or imagine. We all have chains, but the God of heaven is able to break our chains and free us and empower us to be his people, his fruitful, faithful, faith-filled, Holy Spirit-driven people in this world. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. Thank you for the love you have shown us in Jesus. Thank you that you didn't leave us dead in our sins, but you sent your Son into the world to redeem us, to reconcile us, to ransom us, to make us people fit for your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your Holy Spirit to empower us, to equip us, to educate us, to inspire us, to give us the fruits and gifts of the Holy Spirit to do your work in this world. We thank you, Lord, that you are still about the business of releasing us from chains and opening prison doors. You are still about the business of using your people to be your emissaries your emissaries of love in this world. So Lord, we pray that today and every day we may have faith to see you for who you are, greater than the powers and principalities of this world, greater than any chain that binds us, greater than any force on this earth. And we pray, Lord, that we may have the confidence to put our trust in you and to put our hope in you and to set our face towards you and your kingdom and your mercy and your love. And we pray, Lord, that when you open those prison doors, you'll give us the faith to walk out and be the people you want us to be in this world. We thank you, God, for all you have done for us. 
We thank you for all you are doing for us now. We thank you for the life you've called us to in this, on this world. We thank you for the greater life you call us to in your kingdom of heaven. Please, Lord, help us every day to see your face, to seek your face, to see your face of Jesus in others around us and to minister to them and to be your people, your spirit-filled, Christ-filled people in this broken and hurting world. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.